everyone, and welcome to the Able Voices Podcast. I'm Dr. Rhoda Bernard, Founding Managing Director of the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education, and I am proud to present this podcast featuring disabled artists and arts educators. We are inviting artists with disabilities to be guest hosts for the Able Voices Podcast. Today, you'll meet our next guest host, Lawrence Clark. Lawrence Clark is an award-winning stand-up comedian, an actor, a performer, a screenwriter, and a playwright who is based in the UK. He was selected for the BBC Writers' Room's Writers' Access Group and for Screenwriting 2021. Lawrence's spec script, Wheeling and Dealing, has just been optioned by Chapter One Film. He won the Triforce UK TV Writer Slam 2021 out of 1,600 submissions, and consequently, his comedy pilot, Perfect, was broadcast. He has written several other scripts and screenplays, many of which have been made and performed. Lawrence is also the chair of Triple C, a community interest company led by disabled artists. Triple C aims to drive up the role of disabled people in the performing arts and the role of the performing arts in the lives of disabled people. Triple C also runs the Disabled Artists Networking Community, DANC project, which, combine, which provides an extensive program of networking events, mentoring, and masterclasses for disabled writers and other artists. Welcome, Lawrence. We are delighted to have you as the next guest host of the Able Voices podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'd like to start off by asking you to tell us your story as an artist. How did you start as an artist and how did you get to where you are today? Okay, so I think growing up, I was fascinated by drama and comedy and I was one of those nerdy kids that would watch the credits at the end of film TV programs because um, I wanted to see who the writer was because that, that seems like a great job. Um, but I went to a special school and I, I did drama, first of all, mm-hmm. at GCSE up to 16. Um, I wasn't encouraged to do it. In fact, my mum had to ring the school because it told me, because of the way that I speak, um, that it, it wasn't a great idea. And then later on, I got scared. The careers advisors and the teachers pushed me into IT and computing because uh, they told me I could get a good job doing that. I could earn lots of money and I could work from home. So I wouldn't have to encounter any access barriers. I could just stay in my house and work. Mm. Um, which ironically, as a writer, that's kind of what I do a lot of the time. So I got pushed into IT and I did a degree and then I wasn't really sure what to do because my heart 
wasn't in, I was trained to write code, uh, but my heart just wasn't in it. And um, I didn't want to go and live back with my parents, having had three years at university and having got some independence and having got a life. And the flat where I lived was part of the university. And it was Ah. really hard to find wheelchair accessible flats. So the only way to keep my flat was to stay being a student. So I did a PhD, and that's a terrible reason to, <laughs> to do a PhD. But it was that, or go back to live with my parents. And I figured if I did that, you know, I'd probably just stay there. And I knew that, that this life that, that, that I built for myself. So... I did a PhD in molecular biology. Oh my goodness. And, and computer science. And I I hated it. It was because everybody else in the lab was really passionate and into what they were doing. And I was really just there to keep my flat and and go out and party and enjoyed being a student for longer than I probably should have. So, and and I got more and more depressed because I I was doing the PhD with a lot of pressure, a lot of work. Yes. And I got more and more depressed because my heart wasn't in it Mm. until I about six months before the end, I was kind of on the verge of a breakdown, and a friend intervened and helped me negotiate time off with the university. And I decided to go back because I really wanted, I wanted people to call me doctor more than anything else. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. So I wanted that, and I did all this work that I didn't want to throw away. But I promised myself that if I um, if I got this, I would try something more fun. I, I'd try writing or performing or something that, that I'd always wanted to do, but I hadn't really gone for it. Mm. So I got the PhD, and about that time, I um, I live in Liverpool, and there was an organisation called Dada Fest, which is the Deaf and Disabled Arts Festival. And I started to do some work with them. I started to form, perform monologues. And stand up with them. And I really enjoyed it. I thought at first, because of how I speak, that I wouldn't be able to hold an audience and, and do stand up. But various comedians at the time were starting to experiment with PowerPoint slides and videos and audio and multimedia. I gradually 
got more adapted So I used my PhD in computer science, <laughs> but not in the way it was intended. I became a stand-up comic. I worked as a stand-up comic for a good 20 years. I still do it a bit. <laughs> but, but when the money's right, I went to Edinburgh Fringe. At that time, there weren't many disabled performers at Fringe because Edinburgh is like the most inaccessible city. Yes, I've been to the Fringe Festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's basically on a big hill. Mm. <laughs> and everywhere has steps. But I did quite well there, and that enabled me to get good reviews and start touring and do little bits of TV and build up a name for myself. What I always really wanted to do was write. And the performing, they were sending off scripts and not really getting anywhere. The performing was really a way of getting my writing out there. Mm But in the last few years, particularly when COVID happened, in some ways for me, career-wise, the COVID lockdown was great. It forced me to write. (laughs) All all of my performing, all of my stand-up disappeared overnight. Apart from doing gigs on Zoom, I tried that and I hated it. It was just, it was like talking to an empty space. Right, right. Um, there's no audience feedback. So, so during lockdown, I set myself the goal of, um, if you want to be a screenwriter in the UK, there's various courses that the broadcasters run. And I set myself the goal in a year of writing a script that will get me on to one of those. And I spent the whole year trying with no luck. And then I got on two at once. <laughs> right, <laughs> at, right at the end. Um, so I spent 2021 doing four screenwriting, um, BBC Writers Room, Writers Access Group, which is a course for disabled screenwriters, and that's open at the moment. They're running it again. Uh, people can apply. I think it's towards the end of April, closes. And those, those courses, I'm winning the, the Writer Slam, the, the Triforce UK TV Writer Slam finally got me over the line so that I've had something on TV. I can finally call myself a screenwriter. Fantastic. Written something that's been on the screen and that's now enabled me to to get more work. Wow. And now there's some nerdy little person watching the credit and seeing your name, right? Yes, yeah. I love that. Yeah. 
So you alluded to my next question, but I want to ask it and hear more. I want our listeners to learn more about your experiences as a disabled person and as a disabled artist. You talked about Edinburgh and how inaccessible that city is because it is literally high on a hill. It's beautiful. Um, But going to the fringe was challenging because it's an inaccessible city. And also the performance venues are everywhere um, and not accessible places. But more broadly, if you could talk about your experience that way. So in the UK, um, I think we're quite fortunate uh, as disabled artists. It could be better. It can always be better. But because we have publicly funded arts through our national lottery and our arts councils of England and Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, we have relatively fair system for funding artists that over the years has prioritised disabled artists to an extent and recognises that we have more costs because of our access and enables us to apply for funding for access as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as a performer, I work when I was doing the stand-up, I would regularly fly to Arts Council England and they, I would get money to, to develop a new show and to try it out. That They would never fund Edinburgh. Edinburgh always got... I always lost money at Edinburgh, yeah. but then they would pay... That they would fund you to tour afterwards, but where hopefully you get some of that money back. But, but, but I've also been involved, as I say, in Liverpool, where I live, we've had a disability arts festival since mm. 2001 called Dardar Fest. Um, and, and that's still going in some form and about um, five years ago I got involved with Triple C which was a new organisation at the time Um, what's different I think about Triple C is it's led by disabled artists yes most of the people working there, most of the people on our board are, are disabled artists themselves, and we've had to develop ways that people can work for us, but they can go off and do an acting job in the West End, or, or, or if they get a TV job, they can be away for a while. Um, but it's important that we have people working in the industry that also work first because they're the best their best place to know what, what our community needs. Um, so Truffles is different in that we don't do festivals or shows. We're there for disabled 
artists and little audiences is we recognise that disabled artists needed a voice and um, and, and various organisations working in disability arts weren't controlled by um, disabled people yeah. and even less by disabled artists. Um, so that's been a great success. So over the last five years, yeah, we were a tiny um, new organisation running like networking events every six weeks. And now we're like, we're funded like, you know, way over half a million pounds a year. Uh, we have a team of staff, mostly human disabled artists, and that supports their arts practice as well because it's tough to earn a full-time living sure. as an artist. So having, having a part-time job alongside that in the area where you work is, is a really good way to support your arts practice. And yeah, we, we run regular webinars, even masterclasses, but mostly online mm-hmm. because we found that's actually a lot more accessible. Yep. But for our members, we still do some in-person stuff as well. And then we, we were mentoring, so we've had writers, directors, producers, be mentored by uh, other writers, directors and producers in order to progress their careers. Mm-hmm. The, um, last year in the UK, UK, there was a series called Ralph and Katie where the two leads were actors with Down syndrome and lots of disabled people worked behind the camera as well. Cool. And we we supported that production to identify people to, 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 to work on the show. And we also trained a group of 30 disabled people, giving them regular weekly webinars where a different department in the production will come and explain what they did and answer questions to give like a good basic um you know introduction to uh, to work on a TV production mm-hmm. and those webinars we got funded by BBC and ITV studios and we've turned them into a set of 10 training videos, and they're now on YouTube, so anyone can access them, and they take you behind the scenes of an accessible, inclusive TV production, and people can see 
the work that, that went into making that. So cool. You yeah. are again giving me a segue. Yeah. Because I, what you were doing, what you just described, these webinars and the supports that you're providing for people and helping them learn the nuts and bolts, you are providing arts education. You are teaching yeah. artists, right? So my question is, how did you learn all this stuff, especially since you you went into computing, right, and molecular yeah. biology? How did you learn all this stuff? So I, I've never done a formal education course in writing, performing, or any of the other things uh, that I've done. And we have a big problem in the UK. Um, I, I expect probably the same in the States and other places where um, theatre school, drama schools, Film and TV schools are not particularly inclusive or accessible. Yeah. So this is slowly changing, but because this is recognised, the various broadcasters and streamers run courses over the years aimed at disabled people. So I've done various team courses with uh, BBC and Channel 4, and then more recently the, the script writing courses that I've done, again, with BBC and Channel 4. But we've also recognised that we, as a community, can play a role in in peer support and training each other. And that's where DANC, D-A-N-C, Table Artists mm -hmm. Networking Community comes in. So the, the, the webinars and the education programs that we run, we have you know, lots of non-disabled people working in the come and do master classes mm -hmm. around particular roles. Um, that's great. But we also have lived experience webinars yes. where, where we get disabled people working in those roles to come in. Uh, and, and those are great because we're able to talk about the barriers that they've yes. experienced and the solutions that they've come up with in order to progress their careers. Yes. And that's a form of teaching that really we're in the best position to deliver that. You bet, absolutely. Formal college or school, so yeah, we um yeah we, we do a lot of peer mentoring, peer support, and peer support workshops and webinars. So what I'm hearing is it's DIY on more than one level. 
your own education for yourself was DIY. And now you in these communities are creating a DIY education for other folks and supports for each other, which I just, it's amazing. That's, and that's what it has to be because you're right. The field isn't there yet. And it's working. In the UK, we have one of the most prominent screenwriters in the industry, a guy called Jack Thorne, is a disabled writer. And it's written things like his dark materials, which was on HBO, the film Wonder. He's um, really at the top of his game. And he used every year at the Edinburgh TV Festival, there's the Battaglia Lecture, which is the most prestigious mm-hmm. slot. And two years ago, Jack got to deliver that. Wow. And he delivered it about disabled people and TV and, you know, the barriers and the discrimination and the fact that we were way, way behind on this. And and that was great because it came from someone at the top of their game saying that as an industry... We need to do better. So the work that came from that has been all pretty much all of the broadcasters and streamers have come together in what we now call TV Access Project. And that's... It's been going for nearly a year, and that has a programme around putting access coordinators into production, looking at how productions fund access and getting them to do that in a consistent way. There's also work on, but we also got access to work to the government scheme and it's notoriously slow. So if you work in TV or the arts and you're freelance, you can get a call and you're starting work, you know, in a couple of weeks or it can even be the next day. And if you apply to access to work, that could take like five months in order to get your support put in place. So it's just not fit for purpose. It's just not working. So part part of TV Access Project is looking at how, how we can make sure that the access support can be more responsive mm-hmm. and be put in place a lot quicker. Wow. It's amazing. And it's different, <coughs> very different from here in the US. We want to know what you're working on now. Ooh. So, what you can tell us. So 
I'm working on a kids' show at the moment. Uh, I've worked on a couple of kids' TV programs in the last year because they're really good ways of getting more experience, uh, getting more credits. So I did a couple of them. And I have other projects that are my own in development. (laughs) I've learned over the years not to talk about any of them because as a writer, most of my time is spent developing things that never get seen. Because as it went on when you have a every 10 projects in development, one will get made. So Goodbye, I'm making my pilot last year, and that was like a year's work. And there were times when it may not get me, because Perfect has, it was called Perfect. Yes, I watched it. I watched it. It's amazing. And the three lead characters are all disabled characters, and they're actors with quite a lot of access requirements as that's the way I wrote those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but that meant more money than the other pilots sure. um, in order to pay for access. Mm-hmm. And, and that took a little bit longer. And I got to see behind the scenes of the kinds of negotiations that have to go on um, huh. in order to get stuff made mm-hmm. with disabled people in it. I really want to make, make more stuff, and hopefully I will. I but, certainly hope so. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not counting any chickens. Fair enough. Fair enough. I hope you have many more than one chicken every 10 times. Many, many more chickens in your future. Last question for you. What advice, and I'm sure you give this kind of advice all the time because of the work that you do, the various groups that you're a part of. What advice would you give to a young disabled artist? I think on so many things, don't let other people put you off. Yeah, a career in the art with your tingle, writing or directing or working backstage or whatever. It can be a precarious profession, but if it's what you love, you should absolutely go for it. Because if you don't, you will spend the rest of your life wondering whether you could have made it or not, or well, yeah, whether you could have been doing something that you that you really love. So absolutely go for it mm. and seek out other disabled artists. You know, look in your local area, other other organisations, other groups. If not, then nowadays we have the internet and there certainly are 
website triple c on there and a lot of what we do is online so we have members all over the world mm-hmm. you can be anywhere and come to a webinar so yes seek out other disabled artists and learn from them that's fabulous advice fabulous advice Lawrence, I want to thank you so much for sharing your experience and your thoughts with us today. I will tell you, you are the first molecular biology PhD we have interviewed on (laughs) this program, and I think you will probably be the only molecular biologist PhD, I would predict. And I'm so delighted to know you and your work. We are really looking forward to our next episode where you will be our guest host. Thank you so much. Thank you. Able Voices is a production of the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education, led by me, Dr. Rhoda Bernard, the founding managing director. It is produced by Daniel Martinez del Campo. The intro music is by Kai Levin, and our closing song is by Sebastian Batista. Kai and Sebastian are students in the arts education programs at the Berkeley Institute for Accessible Arts Education. If you would like to learn more about our work, find us online at berkeley.edu BIAAE or email us at BIAAE at berkeley, that's L-E-E dot E-D-U.